Good evening. Good evening. Don't mean to yell at you. Why don't you guys turn your Bibles to Philemon? It's a rather large book next to that small letter called Hebrews, just before it. Philemon. So I, I, I don't ever mean to burden you, but was anybody muster up the energy to read it? And if you didn't, I'm going to read it to you tonight because it's not very long. So, yeah. I actually have thought about, I mean, I would enjoy, because uh, I like to read and I like to read out loud. I read to my kids uh, a lot of historical fiction. Um, almost exclusively, I mean, other than the scriptures, historical fiction. And um, in summer, we got, in, got out of our routine of reading at night, but we're getting back in, and, uh, but reading in the evenings and read a few uh, rather large historical fiction books in the winter uh, from R.M. Ballantyne, trying to get into some henty, and then uh, we like to read the Lamplighter books. And we read one from the Lamplighters. It's our favorite of all historical fiction, and it's called The Hidden Hand. And uh, it's, it's very good. Wasn't that a good one, Isaac? Yeah, very good. And the story is interesting, if I recall rightly. One of the, the, uh, the, the big shots at, at uh, Lamplighter was at a garage cell and found this book that he almost didn't get, and then he decided to purchase it. They read it. They loved it, and so they started to reprint it, and it's, uh, it's his favorite, and it, I think it was become one of our favorites, too. It's called The Hidden Hand, and I can't remember any of the other details about the book other than the story itself, but I won't um, reveal anything, so, and it's not a kid's book. Uh, any, I mean, it's whatever. Buy the book and read it, and then you can tell me what you think. So it's about this thick, and it's, it's it's a really good read. It's full of faith and virtue, and the character development is amazing. And I think it was written in 1860 or something like that. Um, very good, very good. So, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we pray and then? Uh, We'll go ahead and get started, okay? All right. Father, thank you uh, for your grace. Lord, thank you for all of your goodness. And uh, it seems like the reoccurring discussion and theme is politics and COVID-19. And uh, I believe it's, it's been for a long time that there are so many better things to talk about, like your goodness and your grace, the gospel, and as Paul would say, whatever things are true, whatever things are lovely and of a good report and noble, all those things, uh, much more worthy of the conversation and thinking of a Christian. And uh, I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to renew our minds 
as we go through this period of history and everything that's so bizarre and that we would, our regular diet, Lord, would be from your word for, for nurture, nurture, nourishment, for education and information rather than any news outlet we might uh, give our time to. And um, yeah, I think it's time for our prayers to exceed our time in the media. So Lord, help us and um, direct us, I pray. And Lord, thank you for the book that's before us tonight, as um, unusual as it is in the context of the New Testament writings. Uh, it is beneficial, and uh, we want to learn from it, and we pray that you teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, uh, because the letter's so short, I would just like to read it to you, and then we'll uh, get to our authorship and date and those other things. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, potentially his wife, we don't know for sure, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel." But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me, but if he was wronged, if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile... Also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.
What an interesting letter. Well, let's uh, get some things behind us, and then we'll talk about uh, the letter itself and all of that, some application from it. Uh, I think there's some good application in it. Uh, as far as the, the date goes and uh, the internal evidence for that, that which we can find in the, the text of Scripture, uh, Paul's name appears three times. Did I put that up there? So uh, verse 1, 9, and 19, all three times. Um, also, many of Paul's companions that, uh, you know, kind of the usual suspects with Paul are mentioned in this letter. We have Timothy, who was typically with Paul, unless he was uh, a delegate of Paul's. We have Epaphras, Mark, uh, Aristarchus, Demas, Onesimus, and of course, Luke, who is frequently with Paul as well. Uh, all kind of playing into um, Paul's authorship. And then um, this all fits with Paul's second um, Roman imprisonment, saying that uh, Paul was uh, looking forward uh, to being released um, and, and staying with Philemon. He says that in verse 22. Um, that's uh, fitting with Colossians, as we'll look at a little bit too. Did I misspell something? Oh, no, I'm sorry, his first imprisonment. Yeah, not his second. Uh, his second imprisonment, he knew that he was not getting out. Um, also, the external evidence. Um, one of the earliest fathers uh, in the church, one of the earliest pastors, uh, was a man named Ignatius. Uh, very early in the first century, uh, he attributed uh, the authorship to Paul. And then the other fathers subsequent to him, they also agreed. So, you know, no reason not to accept Paul as the author. And then the date. Um, again, the letter does fit with Paul's first imprisonment, uh, being convinced that he would be freed. Uh, that optimism is mentioned in verse 22 of Philemon, then also in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. Okay, both places. Also, in Colossians 4, 8 through 9, uh, Paul mentions this delegation of, of two men uh, that he was going to send to Colossae to deliver the letter to the Colossians, and among them was Tychicus and Onesimus. Paul says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, that is a Colossian, uh, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. And so this would be the same uh, trip to Colossae that Paul was sending Onesimus back to Philemon. And so we have uh, Colossians and Philemon uh, written one after the other and uh, sent at the same time, okay? And all of this corresponds to uh, probably uh, late in 60 A.D. to early 62 A.D., okay? That's about as close as we can get. All right, let's, uh, let's talk about the letter a little bit. Um, so as you're probably familiar with uh, the story, uh, 
the, the letter is written by Paul. It's from Paul. Uh, it was sent to and given to a slave owner, uh, Philemon, okay, in the city of Colossae. And it's regarding this runaway slave named Onesimus who has fled and made his way all the way to Rome where in some context, we don't know which, he met the Apostle Paul and then was converted to Christianity there in Rome. Okay. Um, so Paul wrote this letter and then he gave it to Onesimus, the slave, uh, and to Caicus, who was Paul's missionary companion, and then sent them to Philemon. Uh, Tychicus was probably sent as a witness, no doubt, to verify the, the uh, uh, authentic nature of, of Paul as the, the sender of this letter. So don't miss that little detail. Onesimus is the one who delivered this letter to his master, uh, who ran away and apparently stole from him. Stole from him. Okay. It's crazy stuff. Uh, and something to keep in mind uh, at this time, the historical context, uh, is about, and it's hard to say from the historical documents, and the historians vary on the number, but we can, I think we can safely say about half of the Roman Empire consisted of slaves. About half the population of the empire. Uh, so Rome truly was built by slaves. Uh, it was expanded by soldiers. Uh, but built by slaves. And slaves, of course, uh, were real property. And uh, it's interesting reading some of the ancient philosophers. They believed that slaves were actually uh, created by the gods as a special class of people to serve the upper class of people, uh, masters. And, uh, and so it wasn't right to elevate a slave according to them, out of their slavery because that would throw into chaos the, the order that the gods had designed for humanity. Crazy stuff. And it was legal, uh, though not always acceptable, uh, depending on where you lived in the empire, to execute a runaway slave. Legal, but not always acceptable. And that was changing over, over time. There was a time when uh, it was just, that's, you, could, you could dispatch a slave. Uh, but there are some historical records uh, in the first century where cities would revolt when a slave was, was murdered by their owner. And so sometimes it depended on where you were. But generally speaking, the slave owner had the right to do with their property uh, whatever they pleased. He had the right to free his slave, uh, sell his slave, uh, use his slave for whatever purpose he desired. He could beat his slave, and he could even kill his slave. So as Paul writes this letter, uh, you know, being in his position, uh, he is really writing uh, with the edicts of one kingdom in mind, the kingdom of God, and, uh, and how those edicts should apply in another kingdom, the kingdom of Satan. Okay, kingdom of Satan. And Paul has to bear in mind that if he keeps Onesimus a secret, he would be aiding and abetting a fugitive. Is that my phone? Okay. Uh, it's not me, just for the record. Uh, which would be illegal for Paul. Uh, but if he sends Onesimus back, 
Onesimus could suffer serious penalties, although he's optimistic that that's not the case. But really, legally, there's no uh, limits to what Philemon could do uh, to Onesimus as a runaway slave. Uh, And to boot, Onesimus has committed some other crime or crimes against Philemon, according to verse 8. Paul says, but if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. The word if in verse 18 is is, uh, what is called a first-class condition. It's Uh, It it means that it's a fulfilled condition. It should be understood as since he has wronged you or since he owes you something. Now, it's both, I think, logical and practical to assume that Onesimus stole money from Philemon. Why would he do that? He's probably broke, okay? And we find him in Rome nearly a thousand miles away depending on which route he takes, uh, whether he goes by sea the whole way. Uh, I guess he could take a shortcut through Corinth, uh, through that canal there. I don't know what condition it was in at this time in history. Uh, He could take the sea around to the south, or he could go north to the Ignatian Way to uh, Macedonia and west and then across the Adriatic Sea. I think the shortest trip is about 700 miles, but how does a slave pay for his his food and his other travel costs? I don't think it's unreasonable to assume that he um, had the five-finger discount on his way out. And, uh, And another thing about Roman society is uh, there's a, a lack of benevolence. Okay? So there wasn't like traveler's aid. Uh, they don't, like when travelers come to Centralia, there's a couple different groups in town they can call and get assistance. Um, we get hit up pretty quick because uh, Calvary Chapel, the C is so early in the alphabet. When I was in Wyoming, we were the Alliance. And so we were always called first. And over the years, uh, people would forget that they had hit us up for money and then would call us again and then we would go to pick them up to help them and then they realized that they had uh, tried to dupe the same church twice. Anyway, um, benevolence is always an interesting and fun thing. So either way, um, for Paul and for Onesimus, there's risk. Uh, but both, I believe, are, are placing their confidence in the greater virtues of Christian love and forgiveness. Now, as far as God's providence is revealed in the story, I really love this about all this. You know, there's no um, technology by which uh, Onesimus and Paul would come into contact with one another. Uh, and, and, and it's interesting because Paul had never visited Colossae as far as we know. He didn't plant the church there in that city. And yet, all the way in Rome, while waiting for his court hearing, he led a man to Christ who just happened to be the runaway slave of a friend and convert who lived in Colossae, who Paul probably had met in Ephesus when he was there doing ministry. And providentially, Onesimus was saved from the judgment of sin through Christ's redemption, verse 10. 
and, uh, and presumably he was delivered from the judgment of his master, verse 15 through 17. Uh, of course, we don't know any of those things for sure because uh, we don't know how it all unraveled, but I think we should be as optimistic as Paul. Don't you guys? Yeah. As far as the gospel uh, is concerned, the story contains some interesting details uh, as far as what Paul is doing. Uh, he's interceding. Verse 10, he pleads on Onesimus' behalf with the one who has the right to judge Onesimus, just as Jesus pleads our cause, our case before the Father who had the right to judge us. Uh, there's substitution, which I love, verses 18 and 19. Uh, Paul uh, offers to pay all of Onesimus's debts, asking that Philemon attribute Onesimus's debts to Paul. Just as our sins were imputed to Christ, who then paid our debt, there's uh, the hope of restoration, reconciliation. Uh, there is definitely the ministry of reconciliation, which Paul says is the duty of the Christian, verse 15. You know, Paul hopes to restore this broken relationship, to make right uh, what was bad, okay? just as Christ died for the sins of the world in order to reconcile us uh, to the Father. And then what I think is so beautiful here is there's, there's elevation. Verse 16, uh, Paul hopes to elevate Onesimus above his current state to one of dignity and, and equality, just as Christ elevated us from a state of darkness to light, from being lost to being found, from an orphan, right, to being sons and daughters by adoption, from poverty to riches, from judgment and condemnation to forgiveness and justification, from humility or humiliation to exaltation, from degradation to glorification, from, from death and to, to life. I, I love that. Paul was exercising his theology as he was encouraging Philemon to do the same. And I think that's what's so cool about this letter. There are no doctrinal contributions in Philemon, but there are definitely some contributions, okay? Uh, there's no, what we would say, additional revelation in the epistle, but there's an emphasis on applying the doctrines, the theology that one has learned. Uh, the letter, is, I think, is very important because while it's not addressing any particular theology, it's all about applying a proper theology. Yeah, especially after someone has been violated, both legally and morally. It addresses what the offended person, who is a Christian, ought to do. What does a Christian do when they've been abused legally and morally by someone else? Yeah, so Paul's calling Philemon to walk all that he has been taught. So it's not a classroom discussion. We're not in the book of Romans. Okay? It's not the practical lesson. This is real life. It's Christian theology and practice. Uh, as Christians, we've been taught to forgive unconditionally. And God has given that example by forgiving us through Jesus. 
So what do we do when someone has stolen from us? What do we do when uh, we've been dealt with unlawfully? And here's the kicker. And we have the right and the power to punish them for it. Because power has a tendency to make all kinds of excuses and justifications. But when you have that kind of power as a Christian, do any of your duties change? So what do we do? Paul says, he says, I want you to consider uh, the offender profitable, beneficial, verse 11, as opposed to worthless or casting them off or, or something. He says, verse 12, to receive or accept them, verse 12. And then he says again, receive them in full forever as a beloved brother, verse 15 and 16. Oh, I don't want you to just let him come back and be your slave. I want you to receive him forever as a beloved brother. And he says again, receive or accept them as if they were me, verse 17. Oh, now Paul's pushing it. He says, forgive them, verse 18, and do even more so, verse 21. Do even more so. So according to the gospel, Paul was encouraging Philemon to lay all of the debt, all of the offense on him so that Philemon could accept Onesimus as his equal, as his brother, beloved brother. That's great. So Paul is calling Philemon through forgiveness and reconciliation to elevate Onesimus to a high position in his heart to the status of beloved. That's just Christianity 101. Amen? Yeah. Paul says a number of things in, you know, in this whole regard. You know, forgive others. You know, if, if anyone has a complaint against someone, forgive others even as the Lord forgave you. Uh, we should forgive others because God has forgiven us in Christ Jesus. Now, you as a Christian, uh, you've experienced forgiveness, what it is to have your debt canceled to be reconciled and to be elevated as a child of God. And now Christianity 101 is turn around and do that to the one that has offended you, has wronged you uh, in some way. As with Philemon, uh, ran away and stole, uh, regardless of what we think in our current culture about slavery, uh, it was nonetheless the norm and legal in Rome. And... Uh, under no circumstances do we uh, justify theft. Yeah. Good stuff. Let's look at an outline real quick. Pretty simple. The greetings, verse 1 through 3. It's interesting how short uh, the letter is, but how many names are mentioned in the epistle. Many, many names. Uh, and something that I think is interesting is you notice at the beginning there in these greetings in verse 1 through 3, the letter is written to Philemon primarily, but there's two other people secondarily that are, it's written to. Okay? There's uh, Aphia, 
Apphia, uh, perhaps his wife, and then Archippus. Why does he throw their names in there? It may be for accountability. Yeah, Philemon, what are you going to do with Onesimus? And it's always best to name a, a, a woman in there who has a lot more compassion than a man. Yes, dear. How are you going to handle Onesimus? <laughs> so there's Timothy is mentioned. Uh, just as far as names go, he's not receiving the letter. He's just with Paul, but there's Timothy. There's, uh, let's, let's count them real quick just for fun. There's Timothy, there's Apphia, there's Archippus, and then there's Epaphras, verse 23. Uh, there's Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. Did I miss any? There's eight people uh, mentioned in just a few, few verses, really. It's very interesting. So, of course, some of those people didn't work out so well, like Demas. Um, but whatever. And then verse 4 through 7, Paul's thanksgiving, prayer, and praise. I do have a comment that I want to make about that real quick. Uh, in, in verse 6, he says that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now, there's been some debate over what Paul is talking about there by sharing the faith. And because we've made it a part of our vernacular, perhaps, we, when we use the phrase sharing the faith, what do we always mean? Evangelism. But is that what Paul means here? Is Paul's language the same as our language? I don't think it is. I think the sharing of the faith here in, the, in what it's couched in, in verse 4, and then in verse 7, is his love for the saints. Philemon, you love all the saints, and then he's going to throw Onesimus into the mix. Is your love for all the saints, Philemon, I believe it's consistent. And so I want you to consider Onesimus. I don't actually think that Paul is talking about sharing the faith, like preaching the gospel. I think he's talking about sharing the faith as in benevolence, as in forgiveness, compassion, kindness, and things like that. That is sharing the faith. Um, so anyway, I've read uh, Bible teachers that say that it's talking about sharing the faith. I don't think the language allows it uh, or the context. Verse 7, I think, is part, probably the biggest reason. He says, for we, he's saying, talking about him sharing the faith because, verse 7, for we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. So anyway, uh, Discussion we can have later. I just thought I'd bring that up. Then there's, of course, Paul's appeal, uh, verse 8 through 22, um, which I think is such a great example, uh, being the one who um, makes the appeal, advocates for other people, for the ministry of reconciliation, um, and being persuasive when you do it. Is Paul persuasive? <laughs> He's borderline manipulative. 
And then, of course, the salutations, uh, those who are with him, greeting those who are there in Colossae. Good stuff. All right, well, I am letting you out quite early. Does anybody have any questions about uh, Philemon? Have you guys ever sat in or watched somebody do like a, I don't even know what it's called, but it's kind of like a, a play where one person uh, comes out and, and pretends, you know, they're in full costume and they pretend to be the recipient of the letter so a friend of mine, uh, I guess I could call him a friend, he was the vice president of the uh, Rocky Mountain District of the, the um, Christian Missionary Alliance Church. And we just, I just really enjoyed my time with him. But he came uh, to a church that I was at at a conference, and nobody knew what was going to happen. And uh, the lights went down out there, and up here, and he came forward, and then he was standing there in garb that was, uh, you know, looking like a, a Roman citizen, uh, first century, and he was playing the part after he had read, as Philemon, the letter from Paul. And he's going through these emotions, and, you know, he's wrestling with his thoughts, but in the thing, he goes through the entire letter as he's doing it, and it was it was amazing how well he did it and how well the, the story was communicated. And, and, uh, and then at the end, he, he, um, he has the grace to be reconciled and to forgive. And, and, uh, so anyway, so uh, any questions about Philemon? None? It's okay if you don't. Hey, look at that. I thought I shut it off. Um, well, I think there's many contexts in it. Because um, that is a real world application right there. That's a real story. Happened in real history. Real people for us. Um, you know, I think that anytime there's a disagreement between uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord, and the circumstances um, are such that if one person tries to reconcile with the other person by themselves, that it probably won't go well. But to have somebody as an advocate come in and sort of remind people of the, the truths of the faith, what's been done for us, what we've, been ex what we've experienced through Christ Jesus, and the necessity of extending that to other people, uh, that forgiveness is the only option for a Christian. Uh, reconciliation, as obedient Christians, is the only option. Um, forgiveness, mercy, compassion, things like that. Um, I think that I'm probably pulled into this more than I ought to be, uh, just by virtue of being the pastor, uh, which I think is fine, but I really like to see when the, the body is doing it. I think that's a sign of a healthy body, and it, it happens here. Uh, and there's sometimes it happens, I don't hear about it for a long time or whatever. But um, yeah, it seems like I've kind of 
mediated in, in many difficult situations. Um, but yeah, I think it's great helping people be reconciled. Not just in our, because that's our, our, our uh, calling in gospel preaching is to help reconcile people to God the Father. Um, but then we're to make sure that Christians are. I love that in Philippians 4. Um, Paul says, I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche, uh, be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, uh, probably a reference to the whole church, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose name are in the book of life. So Yodia and Syntyche, uh, they have formally done some kind of ministry work with Paul, and they're not getting along. And Paul is so gracious to call them out in front of the whole church. He says, be of the same mind. That's, that's a nice way of saying, knock it off and extend forgiveness and get along. And, uh, and then to the church, hey, uh, don't allow this conflict between these women. Come alongside them, help them out, encourage them uh, to get along. That's kind of fun. So you better behave, because I'll just call you out in front of everybody. Yes, sir. If Philemon did? No, we, have, we, we do not know. Yeah. But it appears to me that he had no other choice. Um, he had a choice. And this is one of the interesting things. He had the ability to, to not and to punish Onesimus, but he did not have the, the moral or Christian right to. And he is, he is in a strong community of believers, and he has brought this to their attention. Tychicus knows, Apphia knows, and uh, Archippus knows. And if there's no reconciliation and forgiveness extended there, then... Christian theology would tell us then it needs to be brought to the church, to the pastor and elders, and then they need to come help uh, try to produce that in them. So the, if, if there's no forgiveness or reconciliation extended at this point, then it moves to the next level of authority. Yeah, at least it ought to. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. doing what's right even when it hurts. I wish there were more vertebrate Christians. Let me take that back. I wish there were more vertebrate pastors. Yeah. But yeah, if, if Onesimus had experienced, or if he was exercising true repentance, um, he would have to face up, do the right thing, and hopefully get it behind him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because Onesimus has been there being discipled 
he's been serving Paul. Um, but yeah, timing is important. Yeah. Dan. Yeah. It seems to be. Mm-hmm. So, you remember when it says that from Ephesus that all of Asia was reached? Uh, there's no evidence that Paul did any of the evangelism in the surrounding cities. Um, it appears that the people that he converted in Ephesus, because remember, Ephesus was a trade city. People were just always flowing through here. Uh, but that he was doing the ministry there, raising up people, and then either he was sending them out or they were just going back to their communities. And Colossae appears to be one of those communities that, and the church there was planted by somebody other than Paul. Is that... Oh, you mean Philemon? Well, I wonder if Philemon hadn't been in Ephesus and was exposed to Paul at the school of Tyrannus or, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I love uh, the autonomy of the local church, but the fellowship with, among all of the churches. You know, they're self-governed, uh, they're independent, and yet there's this tight-knit community and communication between all of them. I think that's very sweet. Yeah. So. Anything else? All right. Thanks for, well, Mike Strobach's not here to ask something that can't be answered, so that's always nice. <laughs> Hopefully he's listening. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for um, just Paul's example in a, a real-life situation and uh, how he handled all of this. He, he had a decision to make to do the right thing and then to encourage two other men to do the right thing uh, in Christ according to the fundamentals of our faith. And uh, just a great reminder that we're a community, we're a fellowship, and we need to be not just interested in our own spirituality and life, but to be interested in the lives of others and helping them walk rightly. And I mean, Paul did say that his job was to warn every man and teach every man that he might present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And we're to uh, all contribute to one another, as Ephesians 4 says, uh, so that we might be 
edified together in love and to, to, to collectively become more like Christ. And so help us to be more interested uh, in each other than we are. Uh, it's hard for us, I think, as Westerners in, in our autonomy and all that, but help us, Lord, to be more into community as the word teaches us. Lord, I thank you for my church family, and I do pray that you just continue to uh, help them grow in grace and knowledge and help them to express their faith, Lord, in our communities and among their families and friends, Lord. So we, we just bless your name. Amen.